Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. And today we should be getting a slightly broader view of sales ops. So we're joined by Drew Elston, who's currently the sales enablement manager at Six Sense. Previously was running sales and revenue operations at Springbuck, his previous business. Um, so Drew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. So let's take it all the way back to joining Springbuck. Why did you go in, and I, and I think you did, correct me if I'm wrong, why did you go in into sales operations in the first place? Sure. Yeah, I um, started at a, uh, a small startup in Indianapolis called Springbuck as their uh, as one of their first BDRs, and um, from there that you know they were just got their first uh, round of Series A funding, and uh, really kind of helped build out their BDR motion. So then ended up becoming the the, the leader for that team and kind of built out um, you know the overall BDR org for them. Um, enjoyed kind of building the onboarding and training programs and kind of the overall dashboards and operations for the team. So pivoted to a sales ops role. And then as time kind of developed, kind of switched over more to the revenue ops where it was, you know, sales, marketing, CS all into one. Um, so and then, um, you know, about a year ago, um, switched over to Sixth Sense to uh, do the same thing, but kind of help out on their enablement side. So at the time they were just raising their Series B funding and they were hiring a lot of reps and, uh, wanted to build out a scalable onboarding program and kind of figure out the next round of training. So uh, it seemed like a great opportunity. So that's kind of how I landed at Sixth Sense. And what was it about the ops part that drew you away from sales or, or was it sales that, that was pushing you away? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I, I think I've always been more uh, driven to numbers and kind of like the finance side of the, the, the sales math, as you could say. Um, so Really like to kind of dive into that more than diving into demos. So uh, kind of seemed like the right choice at the time. Yeah, it almost feels like, and I don't want to slag off any salespeople, but it almost feels like you could, you could have a bigger impact in ops and leadership because you're influencing other reps. But anyway, let's not get into into that argument. <laughs> um, so your role now at Six Sense is you are responsible for all of the the 
the lower level sales reps, so the the BDRs, I think you mentioned. Um, it, it's onboarding and enablement for basically the the re- any revenue generation uh, roles. So uh, BDRs, AEs, um, solution consultants, and CSMs as well for like upsells and renewals. So got it. Uh, revenue generating is kind of what I touch um, on like a day to day. Got it. And in that sense, so it's the first X amount of months, but it's also how you can enable them to be more effective and productive going forward. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, the main two metrics that I'm tied to is um, time to first deal or first meeting for, you know, AE or BDR, um, and then also time to full ramp for a lot of roles. So how quickly can, can we get you, you know, out of your ramp quota and into a full producing engine? So um, it's kind of fun to, you know, figure out what works. There's a lot of trial and error uh, and definitely learned some lessons, but um, it, it's been a blast so far. Yeah, I can imagine. And before we jump into the main questions, could you, what have been, if you're happy to share, like the one simple, like the simplest thing you've done that has impacted those two metrics? Sure. Yeah, we, um, I implemented an LMS. Um, so we use Lessonly internally. Um, for us, we've got, you know, three, three different sales teams across three different offices. So um, me being based in Indianapolis, actually our teams are based in San Francisco, New York, and Austin. So a lot of remote folks, a lot of remote onboarding. So that, you know, especially as COVID hit, um, really standing up an LMS when I first started and getting like an actual training program agreed to by the managers was um, kind of like the, the biggest milestone for us on like the onboarding side. And then continual training, we used Lessonly as well. Um, so that's kind of, I would say like the, the easy, you know, quick win, but also huge impact over time. Got it. And have you been able to, from that change, have you been able to measure a reduce in, well, I mean, this might be a tricky question, but from that, from the implementation of the LMS, have you seen the other two, those two metrics go down after that? Or has the feedback just been qualitatively good? No, quantitative, yeah, qualitatively good, not quantitative. Yeah. Um, so, we, so we've seen the data drop from um, time to first deal nearly got cut in half. So it used to be around 180 days. Now it's around 90 to 100 days. So that's fantastic. It makes me pretty good that it's working. And then um, time to full ramp dropped by a month as well. So that's kind of the, the, the exciting part as well is um, now we're really trying to double down on that as we kind of, un, uh, we can talk about this later, but you know, as we unleash the, fl- the floodgates for hiring, um, you know, how do we keep getting the same kind of rinse and repeat cycle? So um, it's been a blast, but that's probably the biggest challenge is making sure that it's scalable as we keep growing, you know, regions and making uh, folks remote as well. For sure. What does your sales and RevOps tech stack look like today? Sure. So just from like the AE and BDR standpoint, um, you know, reps are, are leveraging Salesforce, um, our own platform, Sixth Sense as well. Um, we're, we're huge chorus power users. We could talk about how we use that for training. Um, sales loft, uh, lessonly, obviously. Um, and then, um, LinkedIn nav, uh, CRAN, which is a competitive intelligence tool. And then, um, Sendoso slash Alice for direct mailing. Um, we use it for both different circumstances, but that's kind of our, our total tech stack today. Got it. How has the team adapted to the remote operation and what have been the biggest challenges? Yeah. So, Luckily, we were, um, you know, um, all of our RevOps team is actually remote. So none of us are actually in an office. So we were, we were thankfully not as affected. Um, I would say the sales motion was affected a little bit as um, 
typically the purchase of six cents is um, could be a, a hefty investment. So people typically want to go on site and meet in person. So um, really the adjustment there was, Hey, as offices started closing down in March, how do we kind of adjust our strategy to go purely remote on zoom? So, um, you know, we, we did a, you know, basically a sales effectiveness course on how to present online, you know, like remotely in zoom and, Hey, you know, those 10 to 15 person meetings, um, in maybe a big conference room is going on zoom. So how do you effectively call on folks? How do you you know keep the attention? I I think everyone's guilty of it's easy to kind of stray away from the screen. So, um, just kind of, you know, tips and tricks and really just double down on that. So we hosted that, I'd say kind of as soon as we realized that, Hey, this isn't really going away. Um, kind of make sure we're, we're set up for success. And then, um, we also created, you know, pretty, pretty zoom backgrounds as well. So, uh, kind of makes us look a little bit more professional as well. So it's been, it's been fun to adapt, but that's probably the, the biggest change we made just from the get go. It's all about the zoom backgrounds making a, a massive yeah. difference. I can tell they're professional. Oh yeah. Close uh, rates went up dramatically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 50%. Yeah. Um, quick question on the remote. So you're saying that pre virus, all of the RevOps team were remote anyway. Correct. And it was it, was there a reason for that? Just because you wanted to hire in different places around the country? Why why was everyone remote? Sure. Yeah. So we've got um uh, two twofold. One is um we have a, a pretty strong India operation. Um, and so um you know currently we've got you know a lot of Salesforce admins and developers there helping us. And then um from the U.S. standpoint, we've got um you know. It, it just for us, it was just hiring the best talent. Um, my boss is actually at Indianapolis too, so that's kind of how I get connected with him. Um, but you know, we've just uh, always been kind of a remote first company, and so that's kind of how it's been easy to find talent. Especially, you know, geo, geos really don't matter as long as you're able to kind of keep pushing the team forward. I'm totally with you there for sure. Like I've been pro remote for like four years, but anyway, enough about that. Let's, let's go back to the the sales team. Um, so the changes we made for the reps is obviously we have the, the Zoom backgrounds, which is massive, but then you immediately saw that there's, there's a skill set the reps need uh, and, and they got them on the training, like crucial training if they're trying to be selling on Zoom. Um, is there any other either operational tech or cultural shifts that you guys have made in the past three months? Yeah, I, I would say... Um... The, the other, you know, big enablement focus change was we used to do quarterly, you know, Q, uh, quarterly QBRs with the teams, the quarterly business reviews, where we get together and kind of talk about wins and losses. And so switching those to remote um, was initially a challenge because, you know, we typically did a lot of team events um, afterwards. You know, it was also for regional offices such as our New York, we had reps in Philly and, and maybe down south as well. So everyone would fly up for it. So, um, you know, we really trying to keep the culture moving. We want to make sure we're, you know, a winning culture was a, was a change. And so how do we keep people engaged through maybe an eight hour zoom day, right? Like, I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to be on zoom for that long, but the, the more we can make it enjoyable, um, sprinkling games, such as like a sales process jeopardy or, or something along those lines where, Hey, um, the top reps got cameos from some of their favorite celebrities. Um, you know, anything we could do to kind of spice it up was kind of how we changed the culture side, but, from a tech tech stack process, I don't think we really adjusted anything due to like going remote, um, mainly because we had Zoom and Slack already set up. So that, those are mainly the uh, means of communication. Yeah, sales process definitely does sound very fun. 
Um, competitive. Yes, yeah, very competitive group. <laughs> so, yeah. And these things you're doing, I like, do you think the, they're just temporary measures or do you think that going forward, the sales team is going to be more remote regardless of what happens with the virus and therefore these things you're doing will persist and you'll maintain doing these things? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think that what this has taught us is that companies will still do transactions um, of large size, no matter if they don't meet you in person. I think everyone's kind of, which is kind of a great validation. Um, so, you know, our CFO might be celebrating saying, hey, less time on the road, less expense reports for him to approve. But, um, I, you know, I think that that confidence was, was great for the team. I think um, one, one, one strong suit that I think we luckily prepared for from our SKO and earlier in the year before COVID hit was um, rolling out a new sales process. So doubling down on just, hey, we have a common language across the team and across regions of, hey, where opportunities are. Um, it's made it, you know, even if we're onboarding reps, we can figure out how we can best adapt our process, you know, even remotely to fit within these criteria and exit criteria. So um, that, that's probably one thing that we've had a lot of luck, to be honest, to like, you know, roll that out begin the, the year, get the teams trained up on it and then reinforce. Um, and then tweak is, you know, we go remote, hey, we realize we can't do this in person anymore. Maybe we need to switch it to this sort of measure. So that, that's probably the other big call out out to have for the remote side. God, I have, have the targets or objectives changed over the past three months. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> so, um, fortunately, you know, for us, like- yeah, uh, for us, uh, you know, we, we help marketers, uh, and sales reps build pipeline. And so, you know, what trade shows taking a hit, um, you know, luckily that we, that budgets typically were reallocated to us, uh, or something or solution like us. So, um, that's kind of how we were leaning on the market. Um, and I think, um, you know, we're, we're coming off, you know, a, a strong Q2 and really heading into Q3, hoping to kind of add additional headcount in a lot of different re- uh, places. Sure. makes sense than that. I mean, it's fantastic news. Okay. Yeah. If the, the product is targeted at this type of person, if they are still selling and marketing, and the, the product is still going to be just as valuable. So it, it would make sense that there's been no downside on the, no down ramp on the sales. Yeah. I mean, everyone needs pipeline, right? So, uh, you know, <laughs> even if the world's in a pandemic, you're always probably looking for pipeline or a quick win. So that's kind of where we help out a lot. Got it. Um, let's move to forecasting. What's the current forecasting process at the moment? Sure. So, um, Tool-wise, we um, we leverage collaborative forecast and Salesforce. So, um, you know, just easy roll-ups um, from all of our sales regions and, and teams to, you know, our head of sales. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're pretty strong, as I mentioned, that sales process. So for us, um, you know, it, it's, you know, pretty black and white now. It used to be kind of subjective and gray of where stuff was in the pipeline. So now we know, hey... If you're in a stage two, it's a qualified deal. Um, you know, we're going through an evaluation process, typically competitors are involved. So we can then, you know, articulate, hey, our win rates at this stage is X. And as we keep moving down the funnel. So we're really trying to get more predictability um, is kind of how we're trying to scale is the easiest part. So um, the sales process, you know, I'll keep keeping that drum. It's something that we've really wanted to double down on. And it's really helped kind of helped uh, make the forecast seem a little bit easier from my perspective, but maybe the managers would say a little bit differently, but 
that's probably how we're, how we're looking at it. Yeah, and how, like, on that predictability side, what are the things that you are planning on doing that you think will help with that? Yeah, so last year we had a, um, our, you know, our sales team was about half or a third of the size. So, um, you know, some of those reps have been there long. So we had, you know, established close rates, at t- you know, times between stages, uh, deal velocity was pretty defined. But then as we, you know, doubled or tripled the team, now we're looking at about 30 A's instead of, you know, 10. Um, now it's okay, like, let's do a, a broad, broad strokes uh, assumptions too, to say, hey, based on your sales process, we expect this kind of close rate at this stage. Um, and just kind of tailoring the training to figure out, hey, um, if reps are struggling with maybe our, our first two meetings, that's where we really want to put a lot of pressure to up those um, conversion rates. So we're extremely honed in on, you know, kind of early funnel to figure out what we can do to move it forward. And then also just try to improve the win rates every quarter. So I, I kind of track each stage with um, stage progression and then also the deal velocity. Got it. And I guess the more reps you have, the more deals you put through the process, the more accurate you're going to be getting with that forecasting. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're always trying to you know take assumptions as much as we can, um, but we never had this big of a team. So now it's okay. Hey, we've, we've got a little bit of baseline data, but from there, that's where we're really trying to hone in on. Got it. What would you say is, has been the most insightful sales KPI you've tracked during your career to date? It's a good question. Um, most insightful one. I, I would say uh, for us, it, it's really the pipeline multiple. Um, and then also the weekly activities, right? So um, you could always back back down to say, hey, if your pipeline multiple is X, we can then, even if you're not the best at converting, we know that you know maybe that multiple next time needs to be 8X instead of 4X. Um, but that, that's just the most easy baseline for reps. And then also, um, you know, we pair BDRs with AEs, but we also want to see just what activity AEs are producing. So uh, we always look for hunters to kind of help out. Um, and if you're not hunting, then, you know, it's easy to justify why your multiple is low. So those are kind of the first two that kind of come top of mind um, just from like the sales process standpoint. Got it. Yeah, and I do understand I put you... On the spot there. Yeah, it's good though. Final two questions. Who in the world of sales ops or sales enablement has taught you or inspired you the most? Yeah, so um, when I jumped into sales ops, into a new role from Springbuck, I realized I am not uh, (laughs) all-knowing and I uh, knew I was going to make some mistakes. So uh, fortunately, I I just kind of reached out on LinkedIn to a a lot of folks in Indianapolis to get them together. So about two years ago, I created like an indie sales ops group. Um, you know, started out as four, four individuals that were all in sales ops at different startups. Um, grew to about 30 at the max, um, where we all got together for a monthly coffee. Um, typically pick a topic such as, um, you know, comp plans to quota allocations to tech stack, you know, you name it. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's definitely helped kind of learn a lot of what the wizards out there, as I would say, are doing. Um, and that, that's actually how I m- met um, my current boss, Corey. So he actually ran sales ops at a, at a, at a pretty large $200 million company. And, um, you know, coming from someone that's maybe has $5 million ARR, it was just fascinating to hear how they structured their sales ops, you know, obstacles they went through. So 
Um, that's kind of why it made it a no brainer for me to go and uh, report to him and learn kind of what he was doing and kind of see the same thing play out at six. And so um, that that's probably where I learned a lot of it is just the indie crew. And um, then just, I think you just gotta be humble and be able to reach out to LinkedIn and know that, Hey, I just want to learn. I'm sure you do too. Like, um, and so I try to meet with a lot of other sales ops connections out there. Shout out to the indie sales ops crew. Yeah, they're great. And then a final question is who that maybe you don't know in the world of sales ops that you would like to take for lunch? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, I think, um, uh, I would say the person that kind of comes to mind is, um, some of those, you know, um, LinkedIn superstars as I would call them. Uh, so, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a superstar in the sale. I don't really think I have one top of mind that I could easily say, oh, I need to take this person to lunch, but, um, yeah, sales off sales enablement superstars, um, out there. So yeah, the people with the great videos, Yeah, <laughs> those people. Amazing. Well, that was, that was a really, really kind of deep insight into enablement at a company which is obviously thriving in the lockdown, but also scaling pretty fast anyway. Um, so, Drew, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.